Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, are we ready for the next big disaster? Underprepared and a lack of leadership. That's the judgement after Auckland's catastrophic flooding in January. From the time Auckland Council Emergency Management stood up an incident team at 4.30pm on that Friday to the end of that team's first virtual meeting at 6.15pm, much of the damage was done. But what about the rest of the country? As Wayne Brown famously said... This is an unprecedented event. It'll be interesting to see just how well-prepared Wellington is when the earthquake got. So does he have a point? How would other towns and cities around the Motu fare in the next natural disaster? And what has to happen to avoid this? A series of failings dating back as far as 2016 contributed to the catastrophic response. Aucklanders did not receive the timely communications, leadership and practical support they had the right to expect in a crisis of this magnitude. That's Mike Bush, and we'll hear more about his review into the handling of Auckland's flooding. But I guess it's no surprise that the disastrous response to the emergency is now a case study in what not to do. John Mitchell specialises in disaster response and recovery leadership at Massey University's Joint Centre for Disaster Research. So there are civil defence emergency management groups and other organisations with roles in emergency management around the country and, and Australia and elsewhere, actually, looking at what happened in Auckland and learning lessons from it as well. You know, there's a, a saying in emergency managing, management and perhaps in politics, you never let a good crisis go by. So here's an opportunity to learn some real um, lessons, embed those in what we do in the future. Could you see it coming then from the work yeah. that you do? And, and you must be very aware of what's going on in terms of emergency management plans around the country. Could you see something like this coming? Yeah, Auckland's a very difficult situation. The super city context means that the Auckland Emergency Management Group is different from anywhere else in the country. In most cases, there's uh, multiple local authorities uh, and the regional council acts as the administering authority and essentially provides an emergency management office that supports emergency management across their respective regions. Auckland doesn't have that. It only has one emergency management office. It used to have significantly more emergency management professionals and it had controllers at a local level in the 10 local authorities that made up Auckland and they had plans in place and good relationships with community groups. But about a third of the population of New Zealand is in Auckland and they have just one office. And so the recommendations in the the Bush report strongly suggest that there should be a full review of comprehensive emergency management in the Auckland area so that that the communities are better protected in the future and the organisations are better coordinated. The review panel have made 17 recommendations that should be commenced as soon as possible. Two, as a matter of urgency. A separate review to examine Auckland Emergency Management's prevention, preparedness and plan, also known as readiness and reduction, for an emergency in Tamaki Makaura. The current review of the Auckland Civil Defence and Emergency Management Group plan to be finalised. And yes, it was seen coming. There have been events in the recent past where similar situations arose, where the relationships uh, between Auckland 
emergency management and council and, and other players in emergency management were found to be wanting and the capability need to improve. Now, some of that work had commenced. Uh, there many of the people involved in emergency management, particularly controllers and others in the Auckland context, have received training recently, but that's only a, a small proportion of those who need to. So they need to have a thorough review uh, to make sure that uh, they're in a much better position in the future. So were you watching what was going on that dreadful Friday night and what, no surprises? Yeah, unfortunately, not really. We we could see that, so other emergency management groups, so Northland and uh, Bay of Plenty, so to the north and to the east, were more proactive in their response to exactly the same warnings from the Met Service. So they have well-developed um, community-based emergency management. They have local authority, so member local authorities in the civil defence emergency management groups, and they have well-developed and very experienced regional emergency management officers at the regional council level too. And they work very closely with their emergency service partners and iwi, increasingly with iwi as well. So they were able to stand up a response more effectively than Auckland, who, in reading the report, they were hoping that it wasn't going to be as bad as it was. And that's an indication often of a need for more training and experience so that those in leadership roles and those advising them can can look at the information that they're receiving from, in this case, the Met Service, but also reports from their, from communities and from partner agencies. The crisis exposed weaknesses in the Council's emergency management systems, community, tangata whenua relationships, which slowed the response and led to an inadequate and early intelligence to support public safety information and decision-making. That it's actually potentially going to be worse than was suggested uh, and that they need to be proactive. It's easier, much easier, to explain why you have overreacted when people's lives are at risk than, than it is trying to explain afterwards when you haven't reacted as pro- proactively enough. So that was the sort of things that we saw happening in that, well, that first 12 hours or so of the event. So you say that it's partly due to the fact that as a super city, there's one one office that deals with the whole of the city and a third of the country's population. Mm. But why? I mean, surely, you know, there should be some great experts in Auckland. You know, we are a country of natural disasters. This is something that the reviews that will now follow will need to look at, and not the least because people died in this event, um, both in Auckland and then later in Cyclone Gabriel in other parts of the country. So unfortunately, it, it takes that degree of impact for some some serious responses to occur that bring about change. We'll come back to John to hear more about his groundbreaking work with Nati Paro in Tairawhiti. But even with the best laid emergency management plans, nature sometimes does something unexpected. That's exactly what happened in August last year when bad weather was heading to the top of the South Island. Tim King is Tasman District Mayor. It was anticipated that that rain event was going to hit more the western part of the region, so Golden Bay, Motueka. So Civil Defence made the decision to pre-deploy resources to Golden Bay because the potential for them to be cut off 
only one way in over the Takaka Hill um, is quite significant and certainly happened before. So as it happened, uh, the rain event didn't do quite what it was forecast and hit Nelson City. I think those events that are forecast, being prepared, pre-deploying resources, making the community aware, giving them an opportunity to prepare themselves and their own plans, uh, and also uh, to prepare the the region. So if it's a storm event, it might be making sure that stormwater um, grapes and urban areas are all clear. There's no obstructions and significant culverts um, in the roading network, et cetera, et cetera. So if there's something going on, bad weather coming your way like the event last August what happens do you as the mayor say right we need to put something in place not not exactly so I would expect in the event of that that those those agencies so whether it's the civil defense itself so they would likely inform me you know this has been forecast there's been a weather alert it's been forecast several days out we anticipate it resulting in you know impacting on these areas and my role is to obviously ask questions about, you know, what preparation is being done, you know, um, are you confident that everything's in place? Yeah, are we coordinating with the other agencies, the Fire and Emergency New Zealand's, the police, the lifeline infrastructure operators? It would be led by the Civil Defence Agency itself in most cases. A lot has been made of Mayor Wayne Brown's poor leadership in the Auckland disaster. Here's Mike Bush, the head of the Independent Review Panel. You need to do four things when you're talking to the public. You need to give them information. They need to know what's going on, and if you don't know what's going on, you tell them why you don't know. They need advice. So what do you want us to do? You also must give assurance that we're doing our very, very best, and this is what's occurring, and you must do that with some empathy because, as we know, People died, lives were devastated. This was a very significant event. But in order to do that, you've got to have the facts. Tim King says the role of a mayor is not well understood. A lot of the decision-making is ultimately made uh, through the structures of civil defence. And once an emergency is declared, you have a controller who is effectively responsible for the response. And, And often you have multiple controllers if it's an extended event. Uh, And the mayor's role is really to support them, to ask the questions, uh, to um, rely on their advice for making decisions where you're asked to. And and the only real decision you have is the declaration of emergency, uh, and that's based on the advice that you receive. Other than that, your role is really about supporting everyone who's involved, um, communicating clearly, providing that sense of of confidence that that things are under control, um, and, and, and interacting with the community. So I think it's important to understand what the role is. It isn't to get in there and start to manage the situation because you, know, you have a structure in place that's there to do that. It's really to support that structure, um, to be able to ask questions, to bring information, um, to provide advice where you're asked. Um, but basically, it's all about communicating. And there's been some great examples in the last um, those last few events, particularly in Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, Uh, where the leadership shown in those cases was really, really, really positive. And so with the event last August, you know, you you thought that it was going to hit Golden Bay hard, so you put your resources over there. Would you look at that as a mistake? Or, I mean, how do you assess it later? No, no, (laughs) no, definitely not. So in that case, there was still a significant impact in Golden Bay. And what it meant was by pre-deploying those resources to Golden Bay, they were they were essentially um, able to look after themselves. 
So the central uh, emergency management office that was in Richmond at the Civil Defence Headquarters could focus its attention on where the impact was in Nelson. And because Golden Bay had been already resourced, and, and it's interesting, the conversations around Tyrafferty and Gisborne, very similar decisions were made prior to this event. So they understood the potential impacts. They pre-deployed resources into some of the locations that um, historically had been cut off or isolated. The thing we will be doing today is getting out doing welfare checks on all of our homes, seeing what supplies they need, if they need any medication, and then communicating with Gisborne. Because we've got no power, our local supermarket is down, but we're trying with generators and the support of Starlink to get them up and running today. Have you got enough generators? Oh, we're resourceful. We'll go door knocking if we need to. Talking about volunteers, you know, there was an article that was written by an Australian academic who's sort of an expert in this emergency management area saying that in, a, in New South Wales they have a very good volunteer army, well well stocked, I suppose. They've got around about 9,000 volunteers for a population, a, a state with a population of 9 million. How does that stack up against um, what happens locally for you? It is an interesting article. I'm not sure how analogous it is, and I'm not sure whether we've got a, a measured number. I think what we do know, though, that isn't any of these events, and it's just been demonstrated in the recent events out north, from volunteer fire brigades to uh, people like surf and rescue out in their, their little boats, picking people off roofs, um, community volunteers, Marae-based um, food provision. We've met up with Monty and Dave from Civil Defence, and we're going to go into Whareponga with them while they deliver some much-needed medications, gas and um, kite. Yes, yeah, so Works has allowed me to come and do this community mahi and we're looking after our people after the Ngāti Road. Volunteers form a massive part of any response and recovery in New Zealand and that's probably an area of focus in terms of, again, some of that readiness, ensuring they've got adequate support, that they're linked into the system and the process. I really caution Te Tairawhiti in using that word, resilience, um, mostly because I think it negates central government, local government, and negates the responsibility to invest and to partner with us. It also did note, however, that it's really important not to overburden volunteers. I thought that was the other interesting part of that article. For most volunteer groups, this is something that they do on top of all of their other work that they're doing day to day in their volunteer role. And you don't want to overburden them with too much bureaucracy and information and, and then have them go, oh, this is not what I signed up for. I don't think anyone would underestimate the value that volunteers um, play in particularly the response and recovery phase because it's absolutely crucial. Let's look a bit closer at Tairawhiti because John Mitchell happened to be there two weeks before Cyclone Gabrielle as part of a joint Massey Nati Paro project. So we ran an exercise on how they might respond to a Hikarangi subduction zone earthquake and tsunami. Uh, and so we went through that and they found that very helpful two weeks later when Cyclone Gale came through because they had worked through many of the issues that, that arose during uh, the cyclone and subsequently. Uh, and they were all in the process of putting emergency resources in conjunction with Tairawhiti Gisborne District Council into the communities, many of them arise throughout the district. And there's another project that we're working on, uh, predominantly uh, Te Reo, 
Māori schools in the sort of northern part of the district and building capability in this and resilience within the schools as well. So what does that mean, going in there and into the schools and building resilience? Uh, working predominantly with children, running projects that they're hands-on, uh, helping them to understand what they can do to enable their community to be more resilient now and in the future. And so for much of the work that we're looking at is around uh, the Hikarangi subduction zone, so an offshore fault line, very much like that for, of the east coast of Japan that ruptured in 2011, uh, which would similarly, if the circumstances are right, generate very rapid tsunami inundation. So having maps of where the inundation is likely to be, having plans in place to where they would evacuate to, plans in place as to how they would support one another in their communities, and then plans as to how they would communicate with the outside world. Of course, during uh, that so Cyclone Gabriel communication was a real problem, so they're uh, working to make sure that they have resilient communication. Radio Ngāti Paro was an integral part of the Waiapu Civil Defence's response. Four staff broadcast non-stop for 48 hours. I said to them, we've got to be lifting spirits, keep, you know, reassuring whānau, imagine people sitting in their cars listening to the radio in the dark and all they can hear is the crunch of logs and river and rain. Yes, it's sort of being a friend and a whanaunga and making sure everyone knew that we cared. What we're seeing in New Zealand increasingly is that uh, by developing knowledge within the communities, coming up with plans, understanding the risks that the communities face means that they don't need as much external support. Some parts of the country, there is, there's a need to develop that capability. And some, it was there and has drifted away, uh, but there's a need to revive that in some communities. Aucklanders deserve and should expect a plan for remedial action in order to ensure that these system deficiencies are not replicated and Auckland is better prepared for the next emergency event which could occur at any time. How confident do you feel, John, now that Auckland would be able to handle an emergency like the one at the end of January better next time? Well, I think even in the Bush report, uh, you can see that by the time a few weeks later, uh, Cyclone Gabriel came through, so the they activated the emergency coordination centre as well, and there were impacts in the in the Auckland area. The experience that they'd had from the holiday weekend uh, floods meant that they were in a much better position already because they'd built those relationships. They were more um, used to applying the incident management system processes. They had worked out in, um, in a fairly pragmatic way um, better relationships and connections with the political component of the council, making sure that uh, they were well connected uh, and that they had a much more proactive approach to communicating to and with communities. So already there's been change, which is it bodes really well, but there's got to be significantly more change for that to be sustainable. Again, where New Zealand is different from some other countries, some parts of of government and local and regional emergency management apply an interpretation of all hazards emergency management that's very generic. Auckland and other parts of the country need to understand what the major hazards are that they face, plan for what the consequences 
of them will be, exercise responses to to that and make sure they have the resources in place. So to some extent, the arrangements in Auckland were a reflection of where New Zealand to some extent has been for the last 30 years or so. So there is a, an, a, an effort across the nation to improve capability in relation to the major risks that we face. This flood event has been an important wake-up call for Auckland Council and its civil defence and emergency management systems. What are the most urgent things that communities and councils need to get in place in terms of emergency management now? I think communication and relationships are the, the main part. On the one hand, there needs to be more work done to make sure that these organisations and the people in them and the communities are aware of what are the, the most severe hazards that they'll face. And then what communication technology and processes do they need to have in place to make sure that when something looks like it's going to happen, so when there's opportunity for warning, that that's communicated really effectively. When the the hazard does strike, whether it's a cyclone or um, a wildfire or an earthquake, that there, uh, there are resilient means of communication available so that communities that are affected, excuse me, are able to communicate with the response organisations. And there need to be um, resources and plans in place to make sure that connection can happen. We saw in the Cyclone Gabriel situation, and to some extent Auckland, where there could have been more concerted and pre-planned reconnaissance into communities where there wasn't, where, where telecommunications were out, to find out what the needs were and to provide reassurance. And um, so in particular using helicopters in those situations, probably in the future we'll use drones more than we currently do. But we need to make sure that those resources are in place but there's some fairly simple things too that for a long time, and we certainly saw this play out in Auckland. So uh, Gisborne District and um, Nadi Pro are putting resources into communities so they're going to have containers with emergency supplies in those communities where they wouldn't have them otherwise. What we saw happening in parts of the country during that response that there were centres referred to as either evacuation centres or civil defence centres that were opened up for people to go to. But those... Uh, facilities didn't have equipment in them. They didn't have mattresses. They didn't have emergency food supplies. Uh, they didn't have, uh, in most cases, any emergency telecommunication equipment for people to be able to report in what was happening there and call for support. So there has been, again, a tendency in New Zealand to not prepare those sorts of facilities because they are they're, they're difficult to maintain. They're expensive. You know, the food goes out of date. Um, equipment uh, needs to be maintained. But if we don't have a level of preparedness higher than that which was um, displayed in Auckland, then it means that communities suffer. I've got to say, though, there are parts of the country that do that extremely well, and that is one of the reasons why Marae are particularly useful in emergency situations because of the resources that they have in place, because they're often used for that sort of get-together now, often for tangi, they have emergency cooking capabilities uh, and they can switch into that mode really easily, whereas other facilities 
community halls, et cetera, that, that don't have that resource of particularly human resource around them are more difficult to activate. So I think we've got to ask some hard questions in some parts of the country about how prepared we really are for future emergencies. There is change coming, but you know that's requiring legislative change. But the intention is that in future, there will be more checks and balances, that the National Emergency Management Agency will be able to uh, provide a degree of assurance that emergency management groups, regions and cities and local authorities and other agencies do have the level of preparedness that is ex expected of them. And for the past few decades, the um, the, you know, the Ministry of Civil Defence Emergency Management, as it was before, now the National Emergency Management Agency, haven't had the ability to require a standard of capability. In future, they, the intention is that they will, and that will be helpful. It'll be challenging, but I think there needs to be someone who, an organisation that sets the standards and then monitors to ensure that those standards are being achieved. That's currently not the case. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Mark Testerman and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to John Mitchell and Tim King. Kaikite anō. <laughs>